We read the word of God in Psalm 119. We'll read verses 89 through 112. Psalm 80, uh, rather, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Oh, how love I thy law! It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Accept, I beseech thee, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand. Yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. This far we read the word of God. I call your attention to the striking statements in verses 99 and 100. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Beloved saints in Jesus Christ, it's a sobering thing to read, and then even more to sing Psalm 119. Maybe I should ask you, do you sing Psalm 119 well? When the psalmist says, I, 
I love thy law. Oh, how I love thy law. And he says, I have kept thy precepts. And he says, I resolve to keep thy precepts. Do you sing that well? It might be that we sort of detach ourselves and say, well, I'm just singing the words that the psalmist himself said. But that's that's not how we're to sing these words. Do you sing them saying, that's me? That is, by the grace of God, my regenerated heart. That is my new man saying, this is how much I love God's law. But it's exactly that that makes it difficult. I have in me and you have in you a new man that will readily say it and an old man that says, no, I don't. No, I don't love that law. No, I don't keep those precepts. And the old man and the new man in the battle that is fought inside of us between the old and the new man comes out very strongly when you sing Psalm 119. But we must. The new man in us must. The new man in us will say, Oh, how I love the law of God. Now then next, if you love it, do you speak it to others? There's something that would keep us from speaking it to others. It's fine that I say I love it. I love it off in my own little life. I love it when I'm keeping the law in my own life, when I'm going to church, when I'm fellowshipping with other saints. But you, you want me to speak this to the unbelieving man at work? You want me in the college classroom to speak the word of God and give testimony to my love for the law? You really want that? What stands in the way is the scoffery, the mockery that others will heap on us for our love. And the psalmist knew that. You read Psalm 119 and again and again, the psalmist not only notes that many around him are not keeping the law, but that he suffers their reproaches. Look just at verse 99, or rather 109 and 110, seeing we read those, but I could look at about ten other passages in the psalm. My soul is continually in my hand. The wicked have laid a snare for me. He means that to keep the law of God is the occasion for many to seek his destruction and to hate him. Now, doesn't that make you and I sometimes say, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to speak that law readily then. But then we come to the text. And the psalmist says, but I'm going to, and I have to, and I will. And here's why. Because I have more understanding than do they who hate the law of God. And one of the practical purposes of the sermon this morning is not only to expound a passage that is indeed at first glance, astounding, more understanding than my teachers. What's the child of God saying? Let's explain it. But another purpose is very practically to encourage you and encourage all God's people everywhere to say, I will keep God's law and I will speak his praises publicly, no matter what men say of me. I call your attention to the text under the theme, more understanding than my teachers. What does this mean, first of all? 
Why does the psalmist say it? Secondly, and third, let's notice the confession that's here made. The meaning, the reason, and the confession. There's one word in our text, or really one idea. And that one idea is so central a concept, a thought, that we need to flesh it out a bit. It's the word understanding. I have more understanding than all my teachers, and I understand more than the ancients. What is understanding? As the psalmist speaks of it, understanding is the activity of the regenerated child of God as he lives out of faith. It's not just something of the head. It is something of the heart. It is the activity of the regenerated child of God living out of faith whereby he takes all of the tidbits of information that he has, the knowledge that he has, and he says, number one, I'm going to see in it the glory of God. Number two, I'm going to relate it all to Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. And number three, it's going to affect the way I live. So understanding is not just knowledge. In fact, there are many people who have much knowledge. They might know as much as is found in an encyclopedia or on any Wikipedia website, but they don't have understanding. It's that kind of person that can be a very real spiritual danger to the child of God in his life of faith. Likewise, this understanding then is not just merely the knowledge of facts by which one says, okay, now I know how to get a better job. I know how to make my life a better life here below. No, this is a spiritual understanding of which the text speaks. I take the knowledge that I know in whatever discipline of life or education And they put it in the service of standing the more in awe of Jehovah God. Again, because we read these passages, I'm going to illustrate the point by referring to science and creation's testimony to God. The psalmist referred to that in verses 90 and 91. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances. He's speaking of creation and so of science, of the science of God not only creating but preserving, of how all of the heavenly bodies relate to each other, of the law of gravity, of laws of physics, and the like. And a man can say, all right, I have a Ph.D. in physics. I know so much more than you, and I'm going to dazzle you with my brilliance. But I deny that there is a God who created the world. That man has no understanding. There can be a child of God. He can be a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old. He could be a 20-year-old in college. And he could say, I don't know as much as my physicist, as my great Ph.D. professor, but I know that God created the world and I'm going to find in the sun and the moon and their stars and their courses in the rising and the setting of the same from day to day in the constant changing of the seasons I'm going to find the faithfulness of God and I'm going to praise him for it and I'm going to adore him for it that man 
or woman has understanding. Now I want to show in three ways that this is exactly the point of the term as it's used in the text. In the first place, I'm going to explain the Hebrew, the meaning of the Hebrew words translated understanding. In verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers. The psalmist is saying that he looks at something and then he has a deeper insight into it. I give you a piece of gold, a gold coin. And you look at it and you acknowledge gold is precious. A coin, a gold coin, that has value. But then you have a deeper insight into it and you say, oh, that's counterfeit. This isn't worth a nickel. That's understanding. I have the ability to look at something and see more deeply into it. That's verse 99. In 100, the Hebrew word translated, I understand more than the ancients means, that I can therefore distinguish what's true from what's false, what doesn't matter from what really matters. So my evidence that this understanding is the activity of the regenerated child of God, whereby he takes all that he knows and he analyzes it in light of God and of Jesus Christ. My evidence comes from the words itself. Furthermore, the evidence comes from what the psalmist says in the last part of each of the verses. For thy testimonies are my meditation. I keep thy precepts. It's the knowledge of the revelation of God in Scripture and in Jesus Christ that enables the psalmist to say this. And then lastly here, there's the word of Solomon in Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Lack the knowledge of God. Lack the knowledge of Christ and an understanding and appreciation of what he did for you and you do not have this thing called in the text understanding. And so we bring in the gospel here. True understanding analyzes everything in the light of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When the child of God has understanding, he's saying really that when I wake up in the morning, I realize I'm not my own, but belong to Jesus Christ. When I go about my work of the day, I realize I'm not just my employers. I'm in the service of Jesus Christ. The things I say, the things I will not say, the things I do and the things I will not do, it's all because I serve Jesus Christ and even God's law. For the psalmist speaks of God's precepts and God's testimonies. Even God's law teaches me about Jesus Christ. And then we bring in the gospel by saying that this understanding of which the psalmist speaks is not something that any man or woman has by nature. It's something Adam and Eve had in the state of perfection, but they lost it in the fall. The very power to understand and the gift of understanding is a gift from God in Jesus Christ to his people, a gift of grace. So I ask you, do you have it? 
And if you say, I do, but I have so little of it, do you pray for more? Is understanding precious to you? The psalmist says that he has more understanding than all his teachers. Let's see that he's grieving. He isn't saying now, I know more quantitatively. He isn't saying, I know more facts. That's not what understanding is. We've nailed that point home. In fact, I as a teacher, though, can testify that there are students, maybe a first grade teacher wouldn't say this so quickly, but I can say that there are students who have more knowledge than I. No teacher ought to say, I know more than you, student. It's not the goal of a teacher. It is the goal of a teacher to impart knowledge. But sometimes, especially in our Christian schools, it's the goal of the teacher to impart how to understand the knowledge. The the, uh, psalmist is not saying that he knows more things. And therefore, he's also not boasting. It's possible that a young person who is a very, very smart person in one area or another gets out of biology class and says, I know more than the teacher did. Good grief. That's not what the psalmist is doing here. In fact, if he were, he wouldn't be keeping the law of God. He wouldn't be manifesting his love for the precepts of God's law, which he says he's doing. Rather, he's grieving It ought not be this way in the covenant, but it is. That's why I can make application here to you and me as regards to others around us who teach us a very pointed application to the college student in what he's taught at college, but also applications to This podcast you listen to, and that blog that you read, and whatever other way you bring in information, which might sometimes leave your head spinning and leave you wondering how smart you are. Maybe you'll never have the kind of knowledge or ability that one has, but here's the issue. Do you understand in light of the scriptures? The psalmist lived in a day, apparently, when in Israel there were many ungodly people. That was part of what grieved him. Many who didn't care about the law and the revelation of God. Was it the time of David? We don't know who wrote Psalm 119. Probably it was not David, though we can't be definite. Was it later, at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah? Was it in the time of the kings when so many of the kings were wicked men? We do not know. But the fact is that he had teachers and they were Jews who were teaching him and didn't understand. This grieved him. This may even be a reason. And it reminds a teacher and a preacher of how weighty our calling is. This may even be a reason why he says in verse 67 that he had gone astray at one point. Fail to teach a covenant young child how to understand. And you pave the way for that child to be open to many ungodly teachings and ideas. 
And then when the teachers, and it's not limited now to teachers in the Christian day schools, when the older people in the churches will not live a godly way or have a right and godly and biblical perspective of a matter, then you open the way. You really encourage the younger generation to go astray. And the psalmist did go astray at one time. And now that he's restored, he can say, I have more understanding than all my teachers. To his grief. Think of how the text finds its fulfillment in the life of our Lord when he was 12. When Joseph and Mary, returning from Jerusalem, realized that Jesus wasn't with them, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem to look for him, not finding him straggling along, along the wayside on the way. Finally, after the third day, found him in the temple asking questions that perplexed the rabbis and giving answers that amazed the teachers. Luke 2.47 says, They were astonished at his understanding and answers. And that's the application to you and to me, that we be so discerning that even if a teacher knows more facts than you or me, we say in the end, I understand the matter in relation to God and to Christ and to how I should live better than he or she does. But what a grief. A grief in the first place because these are the ancients. These are the elders, the older ones in the church. And the older ones in the church ought to have understanding and impart it to the next generation. Again, because these are the teachers, whether they're parents or grandparents who are called to teach. Whether they're teachers in the synagogue schools or the Christian day schools who are called to teach. Whether they're office bearers in the church of Jesus Christ who are called to teach, the calling to a teacher is to impart understanding. Not just knowledge, but understanding. That's why. That's why discipline is a necessary component of raising a child. Godly, Biblically formed discipline, but a discipline that leaves the child to realize that if the child is told something, how to live or how to think, and the child chooses not to, that father and mother are not going to say to six or ten year old child, well, after all, child, you are your own person. You have to be yourself. I want you to learn how to be an individual. So I'm really glad you rejected the doctrine of creation. I'm really glad you didn't obey me when I told you, you must do this. I'm really glad that you violated the law of God. No, no. God gives the Christian parent. And by implications, in some manner or method, he gives the teachers in the schools and he gives the elders in the church a tool to enforce obedience because by that the child is taught to understand what a grief 
but a grief when in the church world at large in which we live, there are pastors who won't preach the gospel and hardly seem to know what it is. What a grief if in our own circles there should be a teacher more interested in living to his or her own pleasure and not setting a godly example with detrimental effect on the children. What a grief. That's the day in which the psalmist lived. But how could he say then, I have more understanding than all my teachers and not be arrogant? What was it that enables him to say that and his words are spoken right in the hearing and in the presence of Jehovah God. And he knows that Jehovah God approves of what he says. And it even gets inspired and is written in the scriptures. What's the reason? He gives the reason. For thy testimonies are my meditation. And because I keep thy precepts. We have more concepts here, more ideas that need fleshing out, although we won't flesh them out in as a great length as we fleshed out the idea of understanding. But God's law, you know that Psalm 119 is a psalm about the law of God. In almost every verse, a synonym for law is used. God's law consists of precepts and testimonies. It's even broader than that, but those are the two words used in our text. Precepts, it directs us how we should live. It gives a prescription, a directive as to how we live. But now remember that the law of God is not just a mere outward code of ethics. It's not just do this, do this, do this. It's good for your hygiene. It's good for your earthly life. The law of God sets forth how we are to live in covenant friendship with our Savior. That's why it supersedes every other law, every other code, every little rule that a mom and dad has in the house about when to get ready for bed and how to brush your teeth, every rule that the state government or the civil government gives about how to build a house and what speed to go as you go down the road. The law of God supersedes all of it because it's about how I live as God's friend and enjoy his friendship. And all of that's embedded in the word precepts, directions from God. But it's also a testimony. This word is striking because a testimony is a bearing witness. That's how you and I would use the word too. Someone who bears testimony is somebody who stands in a courtroom and he gives testimony in a case before a judge. When God gives his law, he's giving us a testimony. He's saying, I am bearing witness about myself. The very presence of the law of God is his testimony that he exists as the one only supreme God. The very presence of the law of God and now the law that came to Israel and to the church of Jesus Christ is his bearing witness that he loves us with a covenant 
unending, enduring, and faithful love. The very presence of the law of God is his testimony to us, his word to us, that this is the way, the way of true happiness. There is no delight apart from the law of God. God is telling us all of that when he gives his law. The psalmist understands that and calls them his testimonies. Now, Because he understands what the law is, not just a code of precepts in a way that Christians live to show that they're not Muslims or not Hindus or something and not unbelievers, because he understands that's what the law is, he keeps it. Meditates on it. Meditates. He muses. He spends time every day thinking, reading, contemplating. It's a sign of ungodliness and apostasy. When a person who's born and raised in the covenant and even calls himself or herself a professing Christian has time to read all kinds of things that the world publishes and keep up on this or that Maybe I need to for the sake of my job, and so it's part of my work. That's fine. But has all the time to do that, and does not take time to study and meditate on the Word of God. How will you get understanding? If we have time to read and analyze and bring all kinds of tidbits of information, but don't go to that foundation which will enable us to discern and to have the right perspective and insight. But the psalmist, he meditates on the word. If you say you've been too busy, If you say that family devotions at evening around the table is at least you did it, so that's at least enough. It's something. If you haven't begun your day with God and his word, you won't have the ability to say what the psalmist says. In fact, Whatever degree of understanding we do have, we will lose over time. It's that important. And then a meditating on God's precepts also leads to a keeping of them, where, of course, the idea is obedience, but it's not just, again, just a mere outward obedience, doing what the law requires, but it's an understanding that there's a very real danger in my life The very real danger is that I'm attracted to sin, that I'm attracted to all that the world offers, that the devil will lead me astray. And when I keep God's precepts, when I guard 
the law of God. And when I guard my heart to keep the law of God, then I'm guarding myself against those dangers. This is why the psalmist says, I understand more than my teachers and, the, and than the older people in the sphere of the covenant. It's because I meditate on thy testimonies and I keep thy precepts. Now how does that function as a reason? It's not enough to say that the psalmist is saying that this is how he knows he has more understanding. He's a more godly person. It's not his point. His point really is this. That the more one loves the scriptures, the more one loves Jehovah, the more one loves the scriptures. And the more one loves the scriptures, the more one turns to them. And the more one turns to them, the more one will evaluate everything around him from the starting point of the scriptures. And that's why he can say he understands more than the ancients and his teachers. Let me illustrate. Say there's a person in the church. He could be a young person, a young adult, but it could as easily be an older person. Who quite obviously does not respect authority. Maybe it's a general disrespect for any authority. Maybe it's a particular authority that he or she does not respect. The child, his parents, or the student, his teacher, or a member in the church, the consistory, or something. And of course, the same even applies to the civil government, which we are called to honor, that is to respect and to obey. So let's say there is such a person who despises authority. How can that one understand the sovereignty of God? Because the whole fifth commandment is rooted in that principle of Jehovah. God is sovereign. God is sovereign in establishing authorities in the plural and even different spheres of authority over me. He's ruling the world this way it might be that there's an authority who's not godly. You see that often in the civil realm. But why am I called to honor such anyway and to obey for God's sake? But when a man says, or a woman says, the fifth commandment tells me I must honor. And when he says, but there's that old man in me, he recognizes the faults of those in authority over me, and I don't want to honor, but I must. Then he comes to realize that the reason to honor authorities is not, first of all, how good they are, but how sovereign God is. We have to understand the testimonies of Jehovah and understand the scriptures to see that. Let me use one more example. Maybe it's a person who doesn't want to conform to the seventh commandment of God's law. Whether he or she is single before marriage or a married person. And his attitude or her attitude is, I live for myself. I only live once. I'm going to make the most of it. It's all about me. 
how can that one really understand the faithfulness of God? Because the testimonies, the law of God is not just telling you and me how to live within marriage, how to live outside of marriage, what not to do outside of marriage. But the seventh commandment at bottom says, look at your God, Jehovah, and his faithfulness, and now live that way. Reflect that faithfulness in your life and mine. That's the reason now why the psalmist says what he does. As he understands the word of God more and more, he understands God more and more. And understanding God more and more, he can direct his way to the glory of God and live a life of gratitude for the salvation he has in Christ. I bring this word to you, beloved, as we live in the last days. We don't know, of course, how long our Lord tarries yet. But we see the signs of the times around us. We see that very clearly the world and society is growing more and more wicked. We see even that one attack on God, God's covenant and God's word, is that many other people say But this is understanding. And you see that in politics. And you see that in society. You see that in segments of society. Or in in mindsets. This is understanding. The child of God who is not well rooted in the scriptures will say. I guess it is then. Two women. Two men. Deciding they can live with each other. And call themselves married to each other. I guess that's understanding. I guess I, guess I never really understood something and, and they have a key to knowledge I don't have. No. You go back to the scriptures. You see that when they say they have understanding, they don't. And that though you might be persecuted for having it, you might be silenced, you might be sidelined. In fact, you have understanding. These are the days in which we live. Many people will say that their sin is actually godliness. And their philosophical foundation or their rationale for their sin is actually in accordance with scripture. You and I must be able to detect the error, reject it, and live the way God would have us live. That's the calling that comes to us now. Beware the world's wisdom. But then a very practical effect is going to be that there are certain podcasts we just won't listen to. There are certain blogs we just won't read. The very practical effect is going to be that we are going to pray more and more at our dinner tables for the office bearers of the church of Jesus Christ and the men and the women who have agreed to train our covenant children in our covenant schools that they have this understanding and we're going to support them. When our children comes home, the child comes home 
and says what the teacher did or didn't do or said or didn't say. And by supporting the teacher, I don't mean that we always say he or she can do no wrong, but we do say to the child, all right, you think you saw a mistake. How are you going to deal with it? Will you deal with that to the glory of God and in love for your teacher? These are the practical implications for our life of understanding what the psalmist is saying in the text. And when all is said and done, the last practical application, we will thank God for teachers, office bearers, parents, grandparents, in the church of Christ. I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than the ancients. This, beloved, is a confession. I already said what it wasn't. It was not a boast. It's also not a deciding that I know more, I'm smarter. It is a grief to the psalmist, but it is for all of that a confession. When you and I make this confession, we're saying something about God. Something about God's love for us. We're saying that he loved us so much in Jesus Christ that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take away our sin. To earn the right for God to renew our minds and hearts and wills and understanding. What understanding we did not have being fallen into sin in Adam. Our understanding was darkened. We could only will and choose that which was evil. But Jesus Christ, dying on our behalf, earns the right for God to renew us and to give us a new understanding and wisdom. More and more we're saying when we make this confession, we are conformed to the image of God in Christ. And more and more we will be preserved from evil, the evils of the world around. It's a confession of grace. And it's a confession of unmerited grace. The psalmist elsewhere says that he went astray. I drew your attention to that. As a young child or young adult, he did sin. And he recognizes the grace of God to him in chastising, in sending him affliction, and then turning him from that sin. Therefore, the world will look at you and me as we make this confession and say, you're proud. You think you know better than we do. The child of God will say, I'm not proud. I'm graced. And you're not. It's not pride. That's not pride to recognize where faith is found and where it's not found. Where obedience and godliness is found and where it's not found. That's not pride. That's understanding. 
That's viewing something and somebody the way God does. So as you and I make this confession, conscious that we make it only by grace, let us give praise and thanks to God. He loved you this much. He's preparing heaven for you this certainly. That he gives you to see how important the keeping of his law is and the knowledge of his word, even when those around you don't. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we ask thy blessing on us, praying that we might make this confession out of love for thee, out of a regenerated heart. And even now again when we sing of our love for thy law, that it might be the new man in Christ that sings it and means it. And by the new man singing, the old man is more and more mortified or weakened and put to death. Give us not to be swayed by what appears to be brilliance and not to join in those who are falling away from the faith but have all kinds of rationales and justifications for it. Give us rather to understand thee and to persevere in that until the day we die. For Christ's sake, amen.